chapter six part one section two of a defence of idealism by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six the new realism part one section two neither vitalism nor pragmatism had a logic and a method vitalism took its stand on immediate perception and the facts of life it observed them as the biologist or the psychologist observes them it found that neither what it called realism nor what it called idealism provided or accounted for the most important data of perception and the most vital of the facts of life but it had no logic whereby to test the apparent contradictions and dilemmas of immediate perception it attempted to solve them uncritically and by rule of thumb trusting to the plain man's common sense to find no fault with its pronouncement the problem of life is solved by living as the problem of walking solvitur ambulando and although mr william james has dealt very faithfully indeed with abstract idealism his method is on the whole so akin to m bergson's want of method that it consists mainly in an open appeal to the imagination and the common sense which vitalism satisfies and abstract idealism does not it is hard to resist mr james when he is quoting fechner almost as hard as it is to resist fechner himself fechner appeals with fervour and without shame to the desire of god and the hope of immortality that still stirs the hearts of some of us outside the universities of cambridge and harvard but so long as there is left in this hospitable pluralistic universe a single stickler for the rigour of the game one solitary professor whose heart remains impervious to the desire of god and the hope of immortality the appeal of philosophies which have no logic is urged in vain for it should be remembered that this is not a question of who thinks closest to life mr william james or mr bertrand russell but of what guarantee we have that when we think our thinking is true we cannot dash in and snatch at a highly complex ready-made reality like life and test our thinkings by their correspondence with it even if we knew what life is and what thought is which we are very far from knowing for life anyhow is a highly specialized and subordinate part of the whole context of experience which includes many more things than immediate perception can lay its hands on and as for thought it may have no higher or more comprehensive place in the total hierarchy than life and philosophy cannot test thought by its correspondence with reality when the reality of experience is the question before us to be solved we owe it to mr bertrand russell that logic has been restored to its proper place as the organ of philosophy we also owe it to him that synthetic logic has been succeeded by analytic logic if it is only for a time the result is the most drastic criticism of preceding philosophies that has been known since the critique of pure reason smashed the systems that were before it if the conclusions of atomism hold good all along the line it means the complete break-up not only of absolute idealism but of all the great syntheses that ever ruled in philosophy with some revolts and revolutions since philosophy began the synthetic systems were based one and all on criticism more or less drastic of the assumptions of immediate perception 
where the axioms of pure mathematics were held to be true they were also held to be inapplicable to the objects of immediate perception every attempt to reconcile the two orders of assumption led to contradictions and dilemmas the truth of the mathematical axioms themselves were considered to be open to doubt though the most tremendous consequences flowed from them there were no axioms more ultimate and more simple from which they themselves flowed the validity of every generalization and every deduction of physical science hung on them they hung unsupported in a world of their own mathematics had thus a peculiar and mysterious existence no valid conclusion about the actual physical world could be reached without them yet the objects they defined had no existence in the actual physical world that position remains unaltered as a branch of pure mathematics geometry is strictly deductive says russell indifferent to the choice of its premises and to the question whether there exist in the strict sense such entities as its premises define until the nineteenth century geometry meant euclidean geometry that is a certain system of propositions deduced from premises which were supposed to describe the space in which we live then there were only two alternatives either says russell we must be certain of the truth of the premises on their own account or we must be able to show that no other set of premises could give results consistent with experience kantian idealism held out for the first alternative empiricism for the second but objections were raised to both goes on russell for the kantian view it was necessary to maintain that all the axioms are self-evident a view which honest people found it hard to extend to the axiom of parallels the second alternative could only be tested by a greater mathematical ability than falls to the lot of most philosophers accordingly the test was wanting till lobachevsky and bulyai developed their non-euclidean system it was then proved with all the cogency of mathematical demonstration that premises other than euclid's could give results empirically indistinguishable within the limits of observation from those of the orthodox system geometry has become what it was formerly mistakenly called a branch of pure mathematics in which assertions are that such and such consequences follow from such and such premises not that entities such as the premises describe really exist that is to say if euclid's axioms be called a and p be any proposition implied by a then in the geometry which preceded lobachevsky p itself would be asserted since a was asserted but nowadays the geometer would only assert that a implies p leaving a and p themselves doubtful and he would have other sets of axioms a one a two implying p one p two respectively and the implications would belong to geometry but not a or p or any of the other actual axioms and propositions thus geometry no longer throws any direct light on the nature of actual space dimensions like order and continuity are defined in purely abstract terms without any reference to actual space now the former state of mathematics suited the idealistic monist admirably for it provided all the contradictions and dilemmas that he wanted 
and he may have still drawn consolation from the assurance that geometry is farther than ever from throwing any direct light on the nature of actual space but he has now to learn that indirectly the increased analysis and knowledge of possibilities resulting from modern geometry has thrown immense light upon our actual space if pluralistic realism can show in spite of the high irrelevance of its mathematics that there are definitions and there are axioms that hold good of the universe of space and time matter and motion if it can remove the contradictions and dilemmas which have been held to attach to the conceptions of space and time matter and motion if it can show that the relations of finite and infinite contain no contradiction or dilemma it can then go on to prove the continuity of space the absolute reality of space and time matter and motion and of that curious collection of qualities we call an object in space that is to say it undertakes to show that the existence of the external world is independent of our consciousness and of any consciousness whatsoever we shall see that those conclusions do not exhaust the possibilities of pluralism it claims to have established the external and independent reality of such things as concepts and thought relations and the external and independent reality of sensations which even philosophers hostile to monism have for long enough surrendered to the inner world it makes out its case first by dealing with all mathematical laws and all mathematical reasoning as laws and reasoning of symbolic logic secondly by giving the entities defined by pure mathematics points lines and planes an external reality peculiar and apart thirdly by cutting away the ground from under the monist's most cherished contradiction the contradiction involved in the very idea of mathematical space as long as you were compelled to think of pure space as a mysterious continuity made up of discrete elements either infinitely divisible or indivisible and infinite in number the idealist was within his rights in denying the reality of space and time and of matter and motion and everything else that depends on space and time the new realism admits i think that he was within his rights things cannot move that is to say cannot change their positions in an unreal space nor real events happen in an unreal time nor real things be tied together by unreal relations nor real parts be contained in unreal wholes so the first thing that mr bertrand russell shows is that the laws of pure mathematics are the laws of symbolic logic they have no superior cogency but they have all the cogency that formal logic can confer on them and there arise no contradictions or dilemmas in them anywhere this could not be shown as long as the axioms of mathematics can be held debatable and they can be held debatable as long as finite and infinite are affected by each other's behaviour and finite and infinite could be very seriously affected by each other's behaviour as long as pure mathematics dealt with quantity and magnitude but pure mathematics no longer deals with quantities or magnitudes but with pure numbers pure numbers are reduced to classes or terms the simplest elements of purely logical formulae they can therefore be treated like any other terms in purely logical propositions we have seen that the mutual compromising of finite by infinite and of infinite by finite is the root of the contradiction by which idealism stands 
but their differences have been adjusted forever we are told since some time in the eighties george cantor the mathematician made a certain interesting discovery as to the nature of the infinite he found and proved that to or from an infinite series any number even an infinite number can be added or taken away without either increasing or diminishing the series that is to say finite and infinite are not affected by each other's vagaries they neither negate nor limit nor do they define each other mr bertrand russell contends that this discovery has made secure the whole ground of mathematical philosophy and with it all the foundations of applied mathematics and with them all the laws of physical science that depend on the laws of space and with those again the ground of the reality of the external world is made secure for the reality of motion depends on the continuity of space and the reality of change on the continuity of time before cantor's discovery it could be argued that change and therefore motion which is change of position were relative and unreal that real motion could not take place for the simple reason that there was no place for it to take and that no real event could happen in time because there never was a quiet steady instant for it to happen in as long as space and time were held to be discontinuous to consist in a finite or infinite number of separable points or instants these dilemmas so distressing to realism followed for progress of bodies and succession of events will always be from one point to the next beyond it and from one instant to the next beyond always between points the body said to be occupying space will be out of space and between instants events said to be occurring in time will be out of time m bergson does not cause these dilemmas to disappear by calling space the net that intellect spreads out under matter to catch it as it tumbles and by using time to stuff the gaps in space for there is nothing to stuff time's gaps with except durée which is not time there is no space and no time that can cover the awful the unthinkable jump from next to next therefore in zeno's problem achilles never can overtake the tortoise because however fast he runs he can do no more than jump from next point to next point and the tortoise however slow he is can do no less neither of them can skip a point so that achilles can't settle it by jumping over either the tortoise or the ground that he has travelled swiftness and slowness are irrelevant to the problem time which is all important to it suffers from the same discontinuity as space from instant to instant is on all fours with from point to point into this dreadful gulf between point and point instant and instant the modern mathematician shovels in the infinite continuity for the modern mathematician is not an affair of infinitesimals but of infinitely divisibles more than all it is an affair of order in a series from cantor's discovery it follows that there never is a next point a next instant a next number there never is any nextness at all the next point the next instant the next number are finites and as the infinite is neither increased nor diminished nor limited nor in any way affected by any behaviour of the finites it follows that start at any finite point or instant you will between it and the next point the next instant there will be an infinite number of points and instants and between any two numbers an infinite number again and so on to infinity the gaps filling up before your eyes 
you will find the entire proof set forth in the chapters on infinity and continuity in the principia mathematica meanwhile mr russell simplifies the problem by an illustration let us imagine he says a tiny speck of light moving along a scale what do we mean by saying that the motion is continuous if we consider any two positions of the speck occupied at any two instants there will be other intermediate positions occupied at intermediate instants however near together we take the positions the specks will not jump suddenly from the one to the other but will pass through an infinite number of other positions on the way every distance however small is traversed by passing through all the infinite series of positions between the two ends of the distance it is obvious that this feat would be impossible if time could not be treated in the same way so there is no nextness anywhere and if there is no nextness there is continuity and if mathematical space and time are continuous then all spaces and all times are continuous and if continuous then real this conclusion which is by no means self-evident is the result of further logical constructions and correlations what holds good of actual space will hold good of matter occupying space what holds good of actual time will hold good of change and motion occupying time change and motion will be absolute and real and unself-contradictory in the sense that there is no state of change and no state of motion and since all material things are continuous that is to say extended extension and with it the primary qualities of matter will be absolute and real there were as we have seen three outstanding objections to the older realisms the alleged hypothetical character of the axioms of pure mathematics the supposed fact that sense perceptions are illusory the supposed dependence of a relation on its terms we have seen how the new realism deals with the first we shall see later on in another context how it deals with the third its business at the point where we are now is with sense perception when it comes to sense perception it betrays a certain consciousness of difficulty the appearances of an object in space do certainly differ according to the point of view and the optic apparatus of the perceiver its size shape colour and relation to other objects in space vary with the position and distances of the perceiver if a humorous creator had given to the lens of the eye the extravagant convexity and concavity of the little mirrors placed at the doors of pierce's restaurants the world of creatures would appear as a world of grotesques but suppose that the new realism accepts as the standard lens the lens of the normal human eye appearances presented to the normal human eye will not rank as appearances but as real objects normally perceived and all variations from the normal will be attributed to flaws in the mechanism of perception this question of the standard is crucial for the new realism it raises difficulties which i will not dwell upon at present still the variations which we may call objective variations due to the perceiver's objective changes of position will remain also the fact that to one object of perception there will be a considerable not to say an infinite number of perceivers each bringing to the problem an individual angle or point of view which itself will change with each change in his position so that the new realism has to assume at least three kinds of space to begin with and as many more kinds as may be necessary pure space the space of the mathematician private space the space which every individual perceiver carries about with him and public space which is the same for everybody 
and to which each separate private space has to be added and adjusted as a system of private cubicles is adjusted to a public dormitory all these spaces purged from the uncleanness of contradiction and relativity are real and outside consciousness even private space is real and outside it is indeed in its own mysterious way not perhaps part of public space as the cubicle is part of the dormitory but one of the infinite sliding interpenetrating planes of the pluralistic real on this system private spaces may be imagined as being like so many transverse intersecting beams subsisting in public space cleaving their way through it and through each other as rays of light pierce their unique and untroubled paths through so many sheets of thin glass and constructing with public space a system of most indubitable outsideness i must leave it to mr bertrand russell to describe the manner of their adjustment if two men are sitting in a room two somewhat similar worlds are perceived by them if a third man enters and sits between them a third world intermediate between the two previous worlds begins to be perceived the system consisting of all views of the universe perceived and unperceived i shall call the system of perspectives i shall confine the expression private worlds to such views of the universe as are actually perceived thus a private world is a perceived perspective but there may be any number of unperceived perspectives two men are sometimes found to perceive very similar perspectives so similar that they can use the same words to describe them in case the similarity is very great we may say the points of view of the two perspectives are near together in space but this space in which they are near together is totally different from the space inside the two perspectives it is a relation between the two perspectives and is not in either of them no one can perceive it and if it is to be known it can only be by inference between two perceived perspectives which are similar we can imagine a whole series of other perspectives some at least unperceived and such that between any two however similar there are others still more similar in this way the space which consists of relations between perspectives can be rendered continuous and if we choose three-dimensional there are as many private spaces as there are perspectives there are therefore at least as many as there are percipients but there is only one perspective space whose elements are single perspectives each with its own private space these private spaces will each count as one point or at any rate as one element in perspective space they are ordered by means of their similarities suppose for example that we start from one which contains the appearance of a circular disc such as would be called a penny and suppose this appearance in the perspective in question is circular not elliptic we can then form a whole series of perspectives containing a graduated series of circular appearances of various sizes for this purpose we have only to move as we say towards the penny or away from it the perspectives in which the penny looks circular will be said to lie on a straight line in the perspective space and their order on this line will be that of the sizes of the circular aspects in order to explain the correlation of private spaces with perspective space we have first to explain what is meant by the place in perspective space where a thing is we can form another straight line of perspectives in which the penny is seen end on and looks like a straight line of a certain thickness these two lines will meet in a certain place in perspective 
that is in a certain perspective which may be defined as the place in perspective space where the penny is having now defined the perspective which is the place where a given thing is we can understand what is meant by saying that the perspectives in which a thing looks large are nearer to the thing than those in which it looks small they are in fact nearer to the perspective which is the place where the thing is we can now also explain the correlation between a private space and parts of perspective space if there is an aspect of a given thing in a certain private space then we correlate the place where this aspect is in the private space with the place where the thing is in perspective space end of chapter six part one section two recording by expatriate in bangor maine